This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Luke's Gospel, chapter 17. Gospel 17, verse 1. He said to the disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea, than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and keeps coming back and asks you to forgive him, then forgive him, Jesus said. There are few things in life as certain as this one thing. You will be offended. As sure as the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, you will be offended. As we face a new year coming in 2018, it is absolutely guaranteed that at some point during this year, somebody or something is going to offend you. Or, and you or I may be the offender, that we will offend someone during this incoming year. That is guaranteed. Jesus said it's impossible, but that offenses will come. So because we know it's going to come, then it'd be wise for us to know how to handle it when it does come. <coughs> Dr. Ralph Earl, a New Testament scholar, says that the word offense found here and in other places has two shades of meaning. First of all, scandalon which is where we get scandal and scandalous from. And that was a word that was described, the bait stick or the snare or the trigger in a trap. I'm sure we're all familiar with a bear trap. You know, that iron contraption with those big teeth and how that when it's flattened out and there's that little plate in the middle where they put the bait on and then when the unsuspecting bear comes along, it snaps shut and it's caught. Well, that bait stick or that bait plate is the scandalon. And so it literally means to entrap or to ensnare. And in time, the whole trap became the scandalon. It also means to cause to stumble or to cause to sin. First Peter 2.8 and Peter's talking about those, the religious people who refused to accept Christ as the chief cornerstone. He said, because of that, that Christ became to them a stumbling block, a rock of offense, a scandal, in other words. That's what he said. 
So we could say, if you put that all together, that an offense is something designed to, to trap you or ensnare you, and if you don't handle it properly, it will cause you to stumble and to sin. And so because we know that we're going to get offended, then to be forewarned is to be forearmed so that we know what to do when it comes. Things happen to all of us that offend us. We get scandalized, we get shocked, we get greatly disappointed, we get our feelings hurt. We can hardly believe that she said that or he did that or they thought that or we said that or we did that or we thought that. Offenses come and whenever that happens and we feel offended, that's when Satan is setting the trap. That's when we're about to put our foot in the trap and get caught and get ensnared. And then we can stumble and we can actually sin because of it. And we'll see this a little bit later on. And so offenses come in many forms. But normally, either by word or by deed, he said that or he did that, or we said that or we did that. And it may be real, it may be imaginary. Sometimes we misunderstand and we get offended. Or sometimes either ourselves or someone else says something or does something and they don't mean any offense. They don't mean any harm. They're just thoughtless. Have you ever put the fit in it? Have you ever said something? As soon as you said it, oh, I wish I hadn't said that. Because you know it was going to offend as soon as you said it. Or sometimes we say things and we don't know it's going to offend. We're just, we just have no idea that would offend anybody. But it does. And sometimes we're the one that misunderstands what somebody said or did misinterprets it completely and we get highly offended. I can't believe they did that. They said that. And so our feelings get hurt. It could be a snub, it could be an oversight, it could be an insult, it could be a rebuke. And whether it's warranted or whether it isn't, oftentimes we get offended if we are corrected. How many of us like to be corrected? We don't do it. We don't like to be corrected. But often it's good for us. And if we think it through, and if it's meant well, if it's meant in a positive way, then it can be good for us. But at the time, there's a tendency to feel offended. And if we don't deal with that, then Satan can use that against us can happen at work, it can happen at home, it can happen, believe it or not, it can happen in church. <laughs> Often it happens in church, doesn't it? You know, sometimes you can come to service and you can enjoy it and it's wonderful and God's blessed you and the worship's been good and the word has been rich and you, 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 you're ready to go home and you feel great and suddenly somebody says something or does something and before you go out that door, you're offended. And everything you've heard or done that morning is just gone in an instant. And you go out that door with an offense in your heart. 
Obviously, our enemies can offend us, people who doesn't like us. But sometimes it could be a close friend. And either unintentionally or we took it the wrong way, but it hurt. And I think particularly if it's somebody that's close, then it can hurt even more, can't it? And we feel offended. Actually, God can offend us. And we'll talk more about that in a moment too. And we need to be careful if we feel offended by something God has done or said. Because Satan can definitely use that against us. And so have you ever been offended, felt hurt, felt used or abused, felt forgotten or lied about or talked about or corrected or misunderstood or whatever? How did you feel? Angry? Boy, I felt angry over things many times. Sad? Disappointed? Disheartened? Dispirited? Because offenses tend to do that with us. It has an effect on us. Here are some telltale signs to know when somebody is offended. And particularly because we're, we're speaking in church, uh, and let's just focus on, on, say, church life. Now, I'm not talking, by the way, about having to deal with big issues of life, a bereavement or a relationship that is broken up, because those things can't be fixed in a day. But I'm talking about ordinary, everyday stuff that happens and happens in church too. If somebody's offended and they're not dealing with it, often they become withdrawn and isolated. They back off everything and everybody. And it's almost as if they put a sign around their neck is off limits. Don't come near me. I don't want to talk. I'm here, but don't bother me. And what they don't realize is that when they, when they start to build those walls around themselves, as somebody rightly said, that if you build a fence around yourself, you fence out more than you fence in. But sometimes a person does that because they say, well, I don't want to be hurt again. I don't want that person or anybody else to ever do that or say that to me again. So, so we put up these shutters and we don't let anybody in. But you cannot live your Christian life that way. You just can't. You just get miserable and out of it. And you come to church and, and you don't really enter in, really. Because you can't. Because we're part of the body and you can't separate yourself from the body. And so often they become isolated and withdrawn and they retreat into a world of, if I could use the term, self-pity. Feeling sorry for themselves. Uh, Proverbs 18, 19 says, A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a castle. And so we build this fortress around ourselves that nobody's going to get in because we're very fragile. 
at the moment because we haven't dealt with it. And so often then I find that people feel threatened, jealous, vulnerable. And sometimes they become hostile and unreasonable and difficult and proud and feel justified. Well, I'm right to feel this way because of what they did or they said. And all of us, without exception, all of us has been there. We have done all those things. We've been like that until we dealt with it. King Saul is a, a good example. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, First Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day, would not let him go to his father's home and a house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul sent him over the men of war and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of all Saul's servants. Wonderful, as it should be. David fought Goliath. Uh, David fought for God. He fought for his king and his country. He won a great victory. And Jonathan was so impressed uh, that he wanted to be his friend forever. And Saul set him over everything. So far, so good. But look at verse 6. It happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine that the woman had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy and with musical instruments. So the woman sang as they danced, and they said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. Hmm. Highly offended. Immediately he felt an offense. They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? You see how that offense immediately took root and began to play in his mind? That he was able to think himself away down the road somewhere, he's going to take my kingdom from me. Not that David had any intention of doing that, but in Saul's mind because of the offense. And you need to be careful of the offense because it can make you think all kinds of things, wrong things about people. And then it says, verse 9, So Saul eyed David from that day forward. Actually, if you were to read on through this whole story of Saul, you would see that that incident, that offense, it so gripped his life that it became the destruction of his life. He could not and would not deal with it. 
He let it get in and he let it grow and it got bigger to the point where he was so jealous, he was so enraged, he was so mad, he wanted to kill David and tried to kill him a couple of times. In 2 Kings chapter 5, there's another example regarding Naaman. Verse 1, now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. The Syrians had gone out on raids and brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl is from the land of Israel. And then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send the letter to the king of Israel. No mention of the prophet. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, ten changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised when this letter comes to you that I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. And so it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes that he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious. Ah, the offense. This great man, this great commander, whom everybody bowed and scraped to, but not the prophet of God. He didn't even go out to see him. He sent his messenger out. But Naaman was furious and went his way and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. <laughs> he was expecting a big show because everywhere he went, that's the treatment that he got. He got superstar treatment, but not from God and not from the prophet. God was going to humble this man. And the way he humbled him was given an offense, an occasion of offense. Are not Abana and far, far the rivers of Damascus better than all the rivers of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? Of course he would. His ego wouldn't have let him do anything else. Would you not have done it? how much more than when he says to you wash and be clean and so he went down he humbled himself he went down and he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean he was highly offended but he humbled himself he dealt with the offense. 
The only way he could deal with it was to humble himself and obey the word that God had given through the prophet. And because he did that, if he had went back to Syria the way he came, he'd have been a million times worse. But he didn't. He humbled himself, he dealt with the offense, and he went back a new man. Not only was his flesh cleansed, but his very soul was cleansed. He was a different man. He became a believer in the one true and living God from that moment forward to the rest of his life. And so offenses will come. In 1 Corinthians, in chapter 1, in verse 17, for Christ, Paul said, did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, as written, and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom, through its own wisdom, did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For the Jews request a sign, but the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, a scandal. Hmm. But to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. There are religious people today, and there's lots of them, and the thought of Christ going to the cross and dying for their sins is a scandal to them. And they don't believe it. Because they think that they're good enough. That they don't see themselves as a great sinner that Christ had to die for. And it scandalizes them. There are preachers who do not believe that Jesus died for our sins. And so that offense, the offense of the cross, is still as valid today as it was 2,000 years ago. Luke chapter 15. Remember the prodigal, how he went out, and when he came to himself, he came back to the Father, and how the Father forgave him freely, pardoned him immediately, and how he told the servants to bring out the best robe and put the ring on his finger and the shoes on his feet and kill the fatted calf, and there was a great party thrown. Verse 25 says, but now the older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. He said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Highly offended. Great offense. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him, and so he answered and said to his father, 
And all these many years I have been serving you, never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours, came, his devoured your livelihood with harness, you killed the fatted calf for him. And let me ask you a question. Who was the elder brother really angry with? And what was he really angry about? Right here, right now. Oh, he had been angry with his younger brother a long time ago. From that first day he left the house. Maybe even before that. No, no. Here, he's angry with his father. And what's he angry about? He's angry because his father has shown grace and mercy to the prodigal. Did you ever feel a little bit angry because somebody you really didn't like? Somebody who maybe at one time said something against you or did something against you, and it was in your mind, and then you discovered God blessed that person. How could God bless that person that I don't like, <laughs> that offended me? How could God do that? But that's the grace of God, isn't it? That's the grace of God. See, God can offend us. Even with his grace and mercy, he can offend us. If he shows it on somebody that we're not too keen on. Now, of course, you're all super spiritual people. You'd never, ever feel like that, would you? <clears throat> well, the elder brother did. He just couldn't get over the fact that his father was so gracious, so merciful, because he wouldn't have been. That's obvious. And sometimes we struggle with the idea that God could be that merciful, that gracious with that person. But he can be. And often he is. And he was gracious and merciful with us, wasn't he? And so we need to be careful about offenses. Remember the seed in Mark 4 that was sown on stony ground? And how that it had not much written itself. But then when it grew up and the sun came out, beat upon it, and because there was no depth of earth, it was stony ground, it withered and died. And Jesus went on to explain that to those disciples. That there's people who become followers. But then when persecution arises for the word's sake, when trouble comes, and they have no depth, just like that plant, they weather and they disappear. When everything's going well, when everything's hunky-dory as we say, it's wonderful. But when offenses come, when the pressure comes on, when it gets tough to be a believer, that's when many go away. And when Jesus is finished talking, Many left him. He said to the disciples, will you also go away? <laughs> Jesus offended his disciples several times. 
Somebody said that God often offends the minded to reveal the heart. You ever read in the scriptures and you come to a verse or a chapter or a portion and you quickly flick over it? Oh, I don't want to read that. I know what that means. And it challenges us. And we get offended by it. Either because we've misunderstood it or we did understand it perfectly well, but we didn't want to do it. We didn't want to deal with it. Am I the only one that's ever happened to in this place? You know, looking very religious looking tonight. It happens, doesn't it? And when it happens, you know, I'm not ready to deal with that. And that actually offends me. It annoys me because I'm not doing that. I'm not living that. I'm not seeing that. I don't want that yet. I can't do that at the moment. And we get offended. In John chapter 6, Jesus here is talking about being the bread of life. In verse 47, we'll break into, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give you is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever." These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore many of the disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? Are you scandalized by this? Have I shocked you by saying this? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. Betray him. And he said, therefore I said to you that no one can come to me unless it be granted to him of my Father. Now, the disciples listening 
to Jesus in the synagogue, scratched their heads and said, what is he talking about? I don't understand it. He's talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And if I could, well, we don't want to put words in the master's mouth, but if I could paraphrase somewhat, he must have shook his head and said, do you not understand that? I'm not talking about something physical here. I'm talking about something spiritual. You totally misunderstood what I just said. You didn't get it, did you? I'm talking about feeding on me spiritually, not physically, because if it's physically and I go back to heaven, what are you going to do then? You see, sometimes if we don't understand the Word of God, it can offend us. There's some portions that are a wee bit hard to understand, and you have to think about them, and you have to ask the question. You have to ask the Holy Spirit to open my eyes to this. What is the truth of this? Show me, Lord. Jesus offended his very dearest friends, his closest friends, apart from his disciples, was Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He spent so many times in their home. He ate their food, sat at their table, slept in their spare bed. And so he's, he's down the road somewhat. He, he's just a few miles down the road, and Lazarus is sick, really, really sick. The sister sent for Jesus to come, knowing full well he'll come. Of course he'll come. Why wouldn't he come? He's a close family friend. Why wouldn't he come? So there was not a doubt in their minds that Jesus would immediately come to the rescue. But he didn't. Sure he didn't. In fact, when the word came back, he waited two whole days. So that was three days. That day and two more days he waited. He didn't get there to the fourth day. By that time he was buried. So three days and three nights got there on the fourth day. Do you ever wonder why? Do you ever wonder why he waited that long? You see, the Jews were waiting on the Messiah. And part of the proof of the Messiahship was that Messiah would raise the dead. You remember John when he got put into prison and he kind of had a rocky time in his faith? And he sent a delegation to Jesus. Aren't you he that should come or do we look for another? Remember what Jesus said? Go tell John. The deaf are hearing. The blind are seeing. The lame are walking. And the dead are being raised to life. Ah. But Jesus raised people to life before this. Jairus' daughter who had just died, literally just died. The widow of Nain's son, he must have died probably that morning, that afternoon. They were taking him out to bury him. Jesus raised him up. But to be the Messiah took more than that. You see, the Jews at that time also had a belief. See, they didn't have the same beliefs about the afterlife as we do right now. And one of the things they believed at that time was that when somebody died, that their spirit just didn't go immediately, that it hovered around for three days and three nights before it went to Sheol the place of the departed. And so Jesus waiting to the fourth day 
if he was going to show his messiahship, this was going to be good evidence for those who wanted to see. He made it to the fourth day. And at the fourth day, he went. And he raised up Lazarus from the dead. What a mighty miracle. What an example of his messiahship for those who wanted to see. But let me back up. When Jesus waited at that time and he eventually got there, the two sisters were offended. If you had been here, that's what both of them said to him. If you had been here, our brother would not have died. In other words, what kept you? They were offended. And Jesus let them be offended because they were going to see a mighty sign that no one had ever seen before. So Jesus could deliberately offend in order to reveal the heart. Now, no doubt whenever Lazarus walked out of that grave, no doubt those two sisters were absolutely thrilled beyond words. But not everybody was. In fact, those religious Jews later on even wanted to put Lazarus to death also, as well as Jesus. Even having seen that, You know, Jesus several times showed that he was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah, but they didn't believe him. We're almost finished. In Hebrews 12, it says this, verse 14, 15. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness Bringing up caused trouble, and by this many become defiant. So it's more than just becoming offended and becoming angry. If we're not careful, we can become defiled. We can stumble and fall into sin because of the offense. A root of bitterness. The word root is Rizzo, R-I-S-Z-O, Rizzo. And it's, it's the same word for the roots of a tree. The roots of a tree goes deep into the soil. And even if the tree ends up a stump, a dead, dried stick, those roots are deep into the soil. And David Henderson here and Gilbert Davis has dug out many a root out of the ground, haven't you? And it's no easy job because those roots will gather around stones and they'll gather around the roots of other trees and they're hard to prize out of the earth. And the writer is warning us here that an offense can take root in our heart and it's hard to shift because it becomes entwined into our very soul. And he talks about root of bitterness. And bitterness here is pikrea. Pikrea. And it's an, it's an unusual word. It's an inward attitude that shows on your face. <laughs> Psalm 
somebody you're offended with and you see them, your face changes. They walk past you and your face changes, doesn't it? Well, mine does anyway. I don't know about your face. <laughs> now, some of you's in here, so you don't need to put your hand up. <laughs> but you've got reflux. Medical condition. You know what reflux is. You know the bile in your stomach, which is good, which is to aid your digestion, break up your food and so forth. But when that begins to come up top of your stomach into your gullet, it gets into your throat, it's horrible, it's bitter, and yet your face gets screwed up. <laughs> it's as bitter as gall, isn't it? And it's worse when you're in bed and you have to prop up on the pillows. And it's worse after Christmas when you have stuffed yourself <laughs> and it's burning the gullet out of you and your face is screwed up with it. Well, that's what bitterness does. It begins to show up even in your very outward appearance. The anger, the jealousy, the bitterness, the unforgiveness, all of that is hard to hide. If it's in there, it begins to show after a while. You mightn't think it's shown, but it begins to show, and people begin to notice. young man one time years ago his pastor sent him to pick up the visiting speaker one night he was coming off the train and uh, he'd never met him before the young man didn't know what he looked like so he looked at all these men walking off the train and he saw one who looked well he had a kind of an angry looking face and he thought well that looks like a preacher to me so <laughs> He went up to him and he says, are you the preacher? He says, no, I, I just look like this because of indigestion. <laughs> Lest a root of bitterness springs up from within. And if it springs up from within, it's going to spring out. It comes out in her expression, it'll come out in her words, it'll come out in her attitude. It'll come out. Ephesians 4. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification? That it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Dr. Harry Ironside, famous old preacher of old in America, one time he was driving home, it was a Sunday, it was late Sunday night, he was driving home from church and he was a bit grumpy and his wife said something he snapped at her and he drove along a little bit and he thought shouldn't have said that he says darling I'm sorry 
He says, I shouldn't have snapped out. He says, I've had a long day. I preached five times today. He says, I know what I listened to you five times today. <laughs> so we're coming into a new year. The last thing you want to do, if you have an offense is to carry that into another year. Yes, you'll get through the year, okay, you got through this past year with it, and you'll get through the next year with it, but you'll have no joy, you'll have no peace, you'll not really be blessed, because that offense will be a root of bitterness, and it will keep outing in your life. So we're going to pray. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. But if there's something, there's something in your life, you say, Lord, I've been holding on to this too long. I need to get shot of it. I need to go into a new year with a fresh attitude. Now, maybe this prayer I'm going to pray would not be enough for you. You may have to. In your privacy, in your house, in your room, you may have to get onto your knees and say, Lord, I don't want this. I, I don't want this hanging around me continually. I, I want to deal with it. I don't want this root of bitterness. I want, Lord, to get rid of it. So that if I see that person or meet that person or hear that thing again or that's brought up again, it, it's not going to annoy me anymore. It's not going to get in on me. It's not going to ruin the peace. Will you do that tonight? Could you stand with us? Sometimes it's not a big thing. Sometimes it's a little thing. The little spoxes, spoxes can spoil the vines just as easily. But let's pray and let's deal with it tonight. This is the very last few hours of 2017. Soon we'll cross the threshold into a new year. Why bring that baggage with you? What good did it do? What does it solve? Nothing. Lord, tonight, we stand in your presence, in your house, at the very close of this year. And Lord, if there's something in my heart that's displeasing to you, something in my heart, Lord, that shouldn't be there, then, Lord, give me the grace and the strength to deal with it tonight. Lord, if there's a root of bitterness, help me, Lord, to rip it out of my heart tonight, that I am free that I experience the peace of God and the freedom in Christ that I should have, that I'm not having right now because of it. Lord, bless your church tonight. Bless your saints, your children that's in this room tonight. Let your presence and your grace and your mercy and your favor be upon them. And Lord, as they release this to you, as they 
If we humble ourselves in your sight tonight, Lord, and we release this, Lord, fill our hearts with peace. And give us, Lord, the joy that belongs to us as children of God. So, Lord, as we leave this building tonight, may we leave everything, Lord, that displeases you, every attitude, everything that's in our heart is not of you. Let us leave it here tonight and never pick it up again to the glory of God. So bless your church tonight, Lord. Send us into this new year, Lord, with new life, fresh life. Lord, with a new vision, fresh vision to serve you and to love you and to follow you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.